You're listening to the OMFIF podcast, the show that explores the latest insights and discussions on global finance, economics, and policy for people who love staying informed about the rapidly evolving landscape of the financial world. Join us as we break down complex topics, interview key thought leaders, and provide essential insights to keep you informed about the evolving world of finance. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this discussion with Sherry Madeira, uh, the CEO of CDP, which originally was the Carbon Disclosure Project, a not-for-profit organization uh, set up in the early 2000s already uh, to promote the highest standards of environmental reporting. We'll be talking about exactly that in this session. Sherry is a prominent thought leader, many of you will already know, on sustainability, who has a wealth of experience in both the public and private sectors, including the British Foreign Office on the one hand, in China, in fact, among other places, and companies such as London Stock Exchange Group and MasterCard on the other. I'm John Orchard, CEO of OMFIF, the central banking and public investing think tank, which includes the Sustainable Policy Institute, looking at financial standards and investing in this area. Nice to see you again, Sherry. And you, John. Thanks so much for inviting me to speak to you today. That's a pleasure. I don't know how you found time to write this. I know uh, all the other things that you're involved in as well, but it's an incredibly helpful book, Navigating Sustainability Data. Somehow you did, and I think it's worth it alone, I have to say, for the acronym Buster Tables, which explain the baffling array of letters attached to standards and committees at work in this area, and we'll come on to those as well. And in fact, why don't we start with that? The uninitiated, Sherry, this topic might seem a bit esoteric. I really don't think it is. Why do you think data is central to the carbon challenge in particular and to the ESG realm uh, more broadly? Thank you for asking a really core and seminal question, because what data is not something that falls from the sky. We have to decide that it's useful. We have to decide that it's important. And when we talk about sustainability data, we need to make sure that we're understanding that without it, we're actually flying blind. So without sustainability data, we can't measure or manage a corporation, entity, government, or any other entity's impact on the environment. We don't know if it is highest and best in its in its benchmark versus its uh, other sectors or their competitors, or that it needs a lot more work. And this is this data is becoming incredibly important to stakeholders of that entity and that business, including important stakeholders like investors, shareholders employees. All of those stakeholders are asking for this data so that they can take a view and a decision on if they want to engage, if they want to invest, if they want to work there, and how it is that they want to buy from that company or sell to that company. That's pretty core. So I think that data and sustainability isn't just a nice to have. It is an absolutely must have so that we can measure, manage, understand where we want to get to and course correct. Good point. And one of the things that struck me, uh, just zooming out for a moment, as interesting and important as someone who has run businesses for a while, as you have, was the importance that you put on the use of data in general in running businesses. Tell us a little bit more about that. I think it's an important area that you touched on the book and, of course, relates easily back to collecting other forms of data that relate to sustainability. What about the use of data in general to enhance how your business operates? Well, we use this word data like we know what it means, John. You know, the reality is that data means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, But when you put it into the context of the boardroom or leadership or management in any type of business, 
it would seem, I think everyone who's listening uh, would agree that it's not sensible for us to never look at finance, be you a not-for-profit, be you a for-profit entity, be you a government. You know, finance is a critical part of what that entity is doing. And as your fiduciary and management duties, you wouldn't dream of not thinking about the financial aspects. So what is that? That's data. You know, that's data about how a company is running, how it is that you're getting resources in, how you're putting resources out, et cetera. So actually, if you know, at the nugget of that, you know, data is already at the core of every boardroom table and every management decision. If you're just going to look through a small lens like a balance sheet or a PL or money or finance. The reality is that most organizations have other data points that are really critical to their KPIs, to their key performance indicators, to understanding sort of how it is that they are measuring their own success as they move forward. And really my, you know, how I, how I think about climate data and how I think about sustainability data is that is yet another data set to add to the kit bag of managers, leaders, and the board table to be able to make good decisions. Not only because one would hope that we as humans together are hoping for a better planet for ourselves and our children and grandchildren and future generations, but also because it is a meaningful to the success of the business, even if you're looking at profit motive, even if you're looking at bottom line, because those data sets that are now in that realm of ESG, of climate or sustainability, those are actually affecting risks for the core business itself. It's not just an ethereal box that maybe CSR could have handled before, another acronym. So it's you know another one busted in the book, corporate social responsibility, of course, is one element. But the reality is that these data points are affecting the valuation of the business itself, its ability to attract customers and its ability to be able to be compliant with rules that are starting to govern if that organization can be doing the activities it's doing. Well, let's come on to that. It's certainly most management and leadership training courses will tell you that the more you spread data around in your organization, the better it will perform. Specifically on sustainability-related data, how is that from a financial perspective valuable for a company? How can an investor get a return or improve the returns in the company through um, ESG data in particular. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, um, I feel like this is the heart of it, which is you know making sure that data is is incredibly useful, and maybe it even has multiple use cases. So I'm a pretty simple person. Let's keep it sort of simple. We're all really busy. You know, ESG or sustainability data should not be seen as being a burden. It should be seen as a real tool for making things better. And keeping it simple, there are really three areas of a business that can be directly affected by understanding uh, sustainability data. The first is access to capital. So you mentioned it just in, in your question there. Uh, increasingly, investors of all shapes and sizes, public and private, are considering sustainability data in order to be able to deploy capital. So not having that data may exclude you, not only from a single transaction with your funder, but actually exclude you from an entire asset class that are looking at potentially deploying capital in significant ways in line with certain climate or nature or impact related criteria. So access to capital is one. Second one is business, your own business efficiencies. So as supply chain owners, and we're all a supply chain owner in business or an organization, some are very significantly large supply chain owners. 
cast your mind to a Walmart or a Carrefour uh, or even a Lenovo. You know, all of these companies have significant supply chains and, and they are part of other supply chains. So if we look at that, actually the, the buying decisions are now starting to ask for in, including climate data and uh, sustainability data when they are trying to make buying decisions as well. And that, of course, goes to the heart of your core business. So without that data, you may actually be excluded from a procurement process or you may be dropped from being a client. Um, Sherry, you mentioned capital raising and uh, investing, and all fifth surveys, in particular public investors, about uh, many things, including uh, sustainable finance. Your book talks about navigating this data, and that's still a challenge for them, they are telling us, although they're starting to get to grips with it. There are many different sources of data. They don't always reconcile as well. They don't always correlate. Give us a tour, perhaps even with the acronym buster that you put in your book of the kinds of data that are available to these kinds of investors and then we'll explore how they navigate it because so I think that's a key thing for mobilizing capital in this area. Yeah definitely I mean there are sort of n number of data points um, that you can use and they're expanding rapidly John so I wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair for us to sort of capture them all in one go but let's create some buckets to see what we mean by that. Um, the first one that's important is thinking about the temporality of data, and that all sounds very uh, geeky, but the reality is we're either talking about historical data, contemporary data, or future data. And especially when we're talking about some of your sort of key stakeholders at OMFIF, thinking about future data, thinking about scenarios is, is an important part of systemic risk, is an important part of assessing sort of how markets are behaving and where it is that a whole of economy approach needs to be taken. And of course, ESG, sustainability, climate risk, climate data is included in all three of these types of buckets. So if we look at historical data, typically that is what um, CDP has historically been the world leader on being able to have a disclosure mechanism. It's something that can be audited. It's in the past. It's something that is being shared and uh, being transparent. Current data is a little bit more tricky. It's something that's today, but perhaps has effects on tomorrow. And even more importantly, that, that future data, it starts nudging into when we start talking about transition plans, what projections a entity might have about what its trajectory is on future emissions, on future GHG, scope one, scope two, scope three. These are, again, you know some of those um, detailed data sets that are part of the climate and sustainability world. Where are that is that going? So let's dig just one one level deeper, and then we can see sort of where we go from there. So you know I mentioned GHG emissions. These are the emissions, the carbon emissions that are being shared and transparent into the market as one of the data sets. Scope one, scope two, scope three. Scope one and scope two are all about what you're doing as a company in different guises. And again, you know there's lots of information out there as to how to distinguish between the two. Scope three is a bit more special which means that you as a entity or corporate are pulling all of the GHG emissions that are, are your proportion of your supply chain into how it is that you are also disclosing those numbers. And that's tricky, right? Because that all of a sudden starts becoming not only in your company's borders uh, to be able to get that data, but you need to reach out into your, into your supply chain and you need to be able to make all of that data that comes in comparable and useful. So again, that is, you know, one really thin element. Of course, there's water usage, there's governance, there's thinking about impact of plastics, et cetera. So there's a huge amount of data that can go in there. It depends on what type of entity you are, and it depends on what your goals are 
in order to determine which pieces of those data are most seminal for your decision making. You mentioned supply chain. Certainly, when we talk to businesses around the world, especially in Europe, this uh, this management of supply chains is a rather interesting component of this, and perhaps it'll have eventually that process an exponential effect on carbon transition. Maybe as people need to guard one another's standards to an extent. Do you think these data standards will continue to proliferate in other parts of our work? in payments and other areas, people worry about fragmentation? Or do you think they might converge or become fungible? Tell us how you think the future will look with data and perhaps AI might help. That's another thing that financial institutions are starting to use to try and reconcile elements of the fragmentation I've described. Yeah, absolutely. Before I go there, I wanted to double click on what you just said, which is about supply chains. And some people might think, well, yeah, you gather all this information. Isn't that interesting? But actually, it's what you do with the information and what action you might take as an entity within the supply chain in order to be able to improve your chances of being a good partner. Um, And we have a little bit of data on that data. So in 2023, 240 of CDP's supply chain members reported through CDP the potential cumulative gains of 1.9 trillion US dollars from capitalizing on business opportunities related to low carbon transition. That means is that supply chain has taken action in order to be able to be transparent and they've won more business because of it. It's a little business, 1.9 trillion of business. And this goes on, that, that's a monetary uh, number. Let's think about you know what it is that we're all trying hopefully successfully to do, which is lower our carbon footprint in order to be able to mitigate climate change. Suppliers also reported saving 70 megatons of CO2 equivalent. So it's our CO, of CO2, and that is equivalent to the energy usage of 9.8 million homes in a year. And they said that they had that saving because they reported to CDP through a supply chain, and they became aware of that emission and how they were going to act on it. So this, so data is not just for data's sake. Data is for taking action. So I just wanted to make sure that we weren't glossing anything over there because often people can roll their eyes and think, yeah, okay, it took me this long to get this piece of data. Yeah. So you you mentioned about fragmentation. You mentioned about rules and thinking about how that affects a wider monetary uh, and financial uh, ecosystem. So there are a couple of things to to mention there. And And I mentioned before that there are kind of three big use cases for data, access to capital, business use cases, and supply chain is a good one of them. And the third is compliance. And that compliance C, the ABCs of data usage, the C is moving fast and it's very fragmented. So again, that that picks up on, you know, how is it that a company, a entity, a bank, a asset manager, a central bank should be thinking about some of these standards so that they can be comparable across various different jurisdictions? Yeah, exactly. Great question. Great question. Now, I, I think there's one to call out in particular. So the IFRS um, has created something called the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, which has put some, some standards that are hopefully going to be uh, adopted by many regulators around the world. This is an effort to try and de- you know, create less fragmentation and a little bit more focus into the rules of disclosure. And again, when we talk about compliance, there's lots of different types. There's disclosure compliance, there's compliance when it comes to financial institutions as to how it is they define and what is the transparency they need as to what is in their portfolio of investments, et cetera. Europe is uh, fantastic 
and prolific uh, about a lot of these different uh, regulations. But then there's also very industry and sector specific regulations. And again, I'm speaking about not only the regular regulations that and um, standards that you might have just doing business, specifically on climate and nature and sustainability, those are all actively moving. So creating a less fragmentation, my view, again, and you would, you would expect me to say this, is that if you have these standards, how do they dock into a data point? Because if we can create a common language at the data level, we've got that really strong foundation so that we can create links between what is now seemingly a quite differentiated playing field. But if we can get to that data point, that becomes comparable. We often ask at our Sustainable Policy Institute sessions, uh, the events that we run in public settings, whether there needs to be a global single standard or that people need to get used to multiple standards, because, of course, different parts of the world require different things. And that still is a very mixed answer. It's, it's often 50-50, actually. Do you have a view on that issue of whether it's desirable to have a single standard globally or whether institutions will need, whether they're companies or financial institutions, to develop a data capacity that allows them to accept different standards in different places, depending on the scenario? Well, I think that um, I would go back to my earlier suggestion, which is that uh, we always use data every day in terms of financial data with our entities. But financial data reporting is not standardized globally. Right? We have IFRS. I mentioned that they're doing some great work on, on standardizing in climate. But then we also have GAAP, the generally accepted accounting principles. Yeah. It's not just one GAAP, John. It's yeah. multiple gaps. Yeah. So, and this has been going on for decades. So, of course, it would be fantastic to have one to rule them all, so to speak. But we have been clever enough as, a, as members of the economy to be able to navigate that. So my own personal opinion is that we, can, we should still drive for you know, less fragmentation. Um, it's going to create a lot more efficiency. Frankly, we don't have a lot of time if what we're trying to affect here is positive climate action. But I also think that realistically, there is going to be a continued fragmentation for a period of time. And perhaps our time could be better spent thinking about how it is that we can translate effectively between those different requests. Yeah, exactly. And as a financial institutions are starting to talk about AI in that regard. Let's uh, let's see what happens there. Sherry, your book talks about ESG maturity in companies. And I thought this was an intriguing concept. Tell us what it is and why it's desirable. Well, I think that just like with any other um, data set, as you're as you're working through your business, your entity, you need to understand not only how you collect it and how you uh, share it, but how you use it. And so in terms of a maturity life cycle, this, this may be very new data for an entity to try and understand what it means for them. Or it may be that some, some entities and businesses and corporations, et cetera, are very, very familiar with the effects of the data that they're collecting on climate and nature. Let me give you some examples. So if you are a small business in a, a developing country, even if perhaps you are in the high emitter category, something like steel or something like agriculture, et cetera, it may be that you do not have sort of the experience of collecting that data, understanding how to use it and move it forward. 
Whereas some of uh, you know, a business who perhaps is already listed on a uh, international stock exchange and has already been navigating for many years the requirement from voluntary, now often mandatory, disclosures around acronym TCFD, which again is about how it is that you put a transparency on some of those data sets, they may already be very mature about not only collecting, but bringing that into a boardroom and management cascade of decisions so that the actions that that organization are taking are not only isolated in a financial decision, that's certainly that um, the, the climate decision is part of that, not because it's nice to have, but because it actually has meaningful impact that can be tracked and can be managed on their core business. One of the uh, terms that you'll hear, of course, in, in financial circles with respect to sustainable finance is greenwashing. And you tackle this in the book. It's a particular worry for investors. It comes up a lot, actually, at transition finance events that we run, where you're obliged to measure something you just touched on, which is a, a company which is producing carbon intensive goods or services, which is making its journey towards not doing that. And of course, that needs to be measured in order to attract investment and so on. And people are worried about cheating, I suppose. Tell us a little bit more about greenwashing. Give, give us some examples, perhaps, Sherry, and tell us how to avoid it. I'd say, in a sense, data is maybe a false comfort or could be a false comfort with respect to greenwashing. But no doubt it's also the, the way to fix it. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, and so just so that we we understand what we're talking about, um, John, you know, greenwashing is is this concept that you are putting uh, you as an entity are putting information into the marketplace to have a positive influence on your reputation around green sustainable issues, and you know that that manifests in lots of different ways. You know, if you're a financial institution, it may be that you are uh, purporting to direct capital towards sustainable investments. Uh, it may be that you as a supply chain or a retailer are purporting that you are considering and uh, limiting relationships with companies that are not uh, supporting your level of green sustainability, et cetera. And, and so I think that this, you know, you, you touched on it, which is, you know, what you're saying, you have to stand behind. And that, you know, and we're talking about greenwashing, but really it's a reputational issue, which is something that most organizations deal with on many different topics every day. Yeah. Yeah. So again, we're just bringing the green and the sustainability into this. And you mentioned transition financing. I think it's an important one because it's no different perhaps than what has happened in the past, but there's getting a lot more focus on thinking about the future. I mentioned before temporality of data. So transition plans are about where you want to land. And if you have a transition plan, you need two things to have a transition plan. One is a baseline, a base case, some sort of what it looks like today, a measure, a man, something that is data. And you need a target. You need to know where you land. Now at CDP, we believe that should be a science-based target so that you're really kind of coming in line with a global solution to where we're trying to land. Baseline and target. And without that, you're not going to be able to see where it is you're coming from and where you're going to. Your point about greenwashing is how is it you measure that along the way and how is it you're transparent enough so that you can stand behind that? You know, my view is it's just like other things. You need to set expectations. You need to be clear and transparent about what it is that you're doing. And you need to monitor accurately as you're moving forward. To me, that all still points to data. 
it still points to if you are clear about what data you are tracking and how it is you're using it along that pathway, I think you've got a lot more security than simply pledging net zero targets, which are very fashionable and have been fashionable over the course of the last five years, without any plan as to achieve it, nor having any idea which data sets you're going to prove, use to prove that you're getting there. And also the, the thing you mentioned earlier uh, with respect to supply chains, the greater the proliferation of people having to report on those, um, the less likely this is, is going to be a problem, I think. One of the uh, interesting um, parts of your book, I thought, was very practical advice for non-executive directors and boards. Of course, many of the uh, people doing that are likely to have had a bulk of their career before this was a uh, was an issue. Not all, but some certainly that applies. Tell us a bit more about the advice that you give to to NEDs who are getting to grips with applying ESG criteria and ESGs to the executives and chief executive or the chief financial officer that reports them on on the board. How should they be held to account? What do they need to know? So I think that there needs to be some upskilling in this because I think the journey is continuing and each of the NEDs and each of the board members have a different part of their own understanding and learning journey. So just not glossing over and assuming that those that are around the boardroom table know what good looks like from a climate perspective or what, you know, what is being requested by that company from their stakeholders, be they investors, be they clients, be they their talent, their own internal employees, be that your regulator or your government. So I think that's where it has to start, which is what is it that our stakeholders are asking us? And what does that mean? And so upskilling and making sure that that board is understanding that is table stakes. After that, you know, I will be bold enough to say that every board director, be they private, public, small, not-for-profit, for-profit, needs to monitor their GHG emissions. They need to monitor their GHG scope one and their scope two. And that may sound very bold to pick out one data set. But the reality is this is starting to become, and CDP has been in the business of encouraging disclosure on this sort of data for 23 years. This basic information is what is in most demand for investors, for clients, for compliance, and for all of the other stakeholders. So get that right, and then you're going to start seeing where it is you are in versus benchmarking. There's a lot of data out there. And as a board, my suggestion is let's not just think there's a piece of there's a piece of information, there's a number. You need to do better for your board to be able to put it in context. Where are you at versus your sector, versus your competitors, versus your industry, versus your geography, et cetera. So starting even just with that simple data set will give a lot more questions that are meaningful into the discussion and determining how it is that more investment on other revealing data sets will be helpful. I think that's really helpful and very practical advice, Jerry. So um, thank you. You've been involved in this area for a good few years and since I've known you clearly passionately care about it. So I'd like to ask you if you could solve one issue in the world of sustainable data that would achieve the biggest impact specifically on environment, what would it be? Tell us what you pick. It's a slightly complicated one, but I'm going to go with Far it. Away. Hopefully, um, everyone who's listening is aware that the uh, the COP process, the UN uh, Conference of the Parties meetings every year, has grown in terms of uh, size and uh, noise. And last year, we had the world's first global stock take. 
And what that meant was how is how are nations doing against their NDCs, their nationally determined contributions to addressing climate change? My one desire is that in five years time, when we do it the next time, that actually we have comparable data between countries, India right. providing a two page uh, information bulletin versus a substantial book provided by um, a country like France doesn't help us understand globally where we're getting to. And we need to have whole of economy data. That's part of that. We can't lose sight as we're sitting around boardroom tables, as we're sitting around investment committee meetings, as we're sitting around regulation tables, that what we're doing here is trying to be able to create a global impact. And the COP process allows us to start thinking about how it is that all moves together. We're not doing that well now. CDP does a stock take every day. That's what we do. We measure, we manage. We need to make sure that that's all part of the bigger picture. Otherwise, I'm not sure if we're really aiming for the right stuff. I think that's an excellent answer. Sherry, it's a very helpful book, um, Navigating Sustainability Data, and it's been a pleasure talking to you about it. I think you're providing very clear, focused and practical help for um, both corporate, uh, financial and non-financial corporations. So uh, um, I think we're, we're glad that you took the effort to do it. So thank you very much for writing the book and thank you also for talking to me today. See you soon. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the OMFIF podcast. If you found today's conversation engaging, make sure to stay tuned for additional thought-provoking discussions on transition finance, NGFS and diversity, gender and inclusion by subscribing to our channel. Stay connected of the latest developments by following us on our LinkedIn page, OMFIF Sustainable Policy Institute.